And we're in Genesis chapter 26. This will be our first week in chapter 26, and we will not get through the whole chapter. Five verses. And today's Bible study is called, Don't Vacation in Egypt. Don't go on a vacation in Egypt. All right? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, for your promises, uh, Lord, for the children that just abound in our church, all the little babies, Lord. We love seeing how uh, fruitful we are here, and Lord, we just pray that you would uh, continue to keep us safe. Uh, we pray right now for um, the pastor up at, at uh, that Reach Church up in Boulder, whose uh, son fell out of a two-story window and, and is really hurt right now and needs some surgeries. And, but Lord, we, we thank you that there's no brain damage, and, uh, but we pray, Lord, that you would help them and the, the pastor's family, all of them, to get through this, and that you would help little um, Ezra to, um, to, to be okay, Lord. He's got to have his jaw wired shut and all kinds of stuff. And, uh, I just pray that you'd be with him, Lord. You would develop, even in his little heart, just a trust that you're going to take care of him and be with him. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would continue to bless and take care and protect our families and our children. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, well, Dana and I just went on vacation together. It was awesome. Uh, it was very nice to be able to get away and just focus on each other and to grow in our love and our understanding for each other. And, and so that was wonderful. We had a great time. I don't even think we had a single argument. It was awesome. But imagine if I planned a vacation away from my wife. Just imagine how well that would go for me. It wouldn't work out. It would be unimaginable for me uh, because I would only be missing out. I would be like having all this fun times and seeing all these goofy people and I'd be like, hey, honey, oh, she's not here. Hey, what? Oh, I would be missing out. I would be sad. I would be lonely. She's, she's so connected to me by God's design. And I feel such a longing for her when I'm away for, from her. Even though sometimes uh, there comes a famine or a trial in our lives, um, in my life personally, where sometimes this thought crosses my mind of, man, it would, I wouldn't mind getting away right now. Everyone, anyone else have that thought sometimes? Ah, it'd be kind of nice to get away from everything even from the family, even from work. Or, or the, how about this thought? I, I wonder if there could be something else out there for me. Is there something I'm, I'm, is the grass greener on that other side over there? And sometimes that thought may even creep in. Oh, but I'm just stuck with this ball and chain. That doesn't, that's not good, Ever. And, but what keeps me anchored to my joy and my marriage is the love and relationship that we have. Not, not a rule. It's not a law. I mean, there is a rule, I, mean, I guess, in the Bible that I should stay with my wife. But I, I haven't thought about that rule in like forever. Why? Because I actually love my wife. And if it were to come down to it and we were to have some really hard times, I might think about that rule and say, okay, well, that, that law is there to direct me and it's there to give me some guidance and say, that's not the way you want to go. But what keeps me anchored to her is love and relationship. And so it reminds me of this. 
In Romans 8, 4, and I'll read it to you guys because I had you turn to Genesis 26, and that would be mean of me to trick you. But I'll read it to you. It says, the, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk, walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. See, God is in a relationship with us. We are not his ball and chain. We are married to Christ. We are the bride of Christ. And there's nothing more amazing than the benefits of knowing and believing and living in that marriage-type relationship. It's wonderful. So we get now to our text in Genesis chapter 26. With that being our introduction and that being kind of our, our mindset is this loving relationship that we have and not a law. I want us to see the, uh, this text from that with that, um, those glasses on, okay? It says in chapter 26, there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that there was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt but live in the land that I shall tell you. Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands. I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will perform, or sorry, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. God's message does not change. It's always been grace. Grace. We talk about grace so much. We hung a new sign out there in the foyer about grace, right? It's not just a prayer you say to bless your food, but it's a way of living. And that's true. It's so important. We talk about grace all the time. God's, you, you can make a little thing that says G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's him giving to us what we need. It's always been his wonderful love declared to us, this message of the Bible. It's so consistent. And some people believe that God was somehow giving a different message to the Jewish people than he is to us today, but he's not. It's always been consistent. Everything spoken to them and recorded for us carries the same message. So all the stuff that we read here, we're told in the Bible, is for you. It's for your faith. It's for your life today. What Isaac heard from, Abra from God today, when God appeared to him, is for us today. Okay, so what is this message? Well, I'll simplify the message for you. It's that God loves you and will provide all you need through his son. By faith. Let me read that again. God loves you and he will provide all you need through his son by faith. One more time, just for fun. God loves you and he will provide all you need through his son by faith. In verse 1, it says that there was a famine in the land, besides that first famine that there was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, the king of the Philistines, in Gerar. And so here we have Isaac 
He, he, Abraham is now dead. He's the patriarch of, of this family. His family's growing. He's had his two sons that we looked at in the last time I taught. And, and he, he's challenged here. There's a famine. And sometimes famine come. Famines come. Uh, trials, trouble. And this is the first real big struggle or trial or famine that Isaac has experienced. His dad, his father, Abraham, had experienced a famine, and he didn't do so well. If you recall... What did he do? He went down to Egypt and he hung out with the Egyptians and, and he told a lie about Sarah being his sister and Pharaoh took her as his wife and then God said, I'm going to kill you all. And Pharaoh's like, no, I didn't know. And it was just this big, long thing. They picked up this little lady named Hagar. It was, it was quite the story. Okay. You would think that Abraham told Isaac about that, and he probably did. And so Isaac, he kind of, he's like, well, this is the way dad handled it, so I'm going to start going that direction. So what does he do? He goes to this king of the Philistines. We don't get to choose what famines come into our life. We don't get to choose what they feel like or what they look like. They just come. But they all have these things in common. They hurt. They're uncomfortable. They are not the American dream. The American dream is basically you shouldn't have to go through famines. But that doesn't mean that God is angry with you. If, just because you're going through a famine doesn't mean that God is against you. It simply means you're going through a famine. He has his reasons. It doesn't mean that he's in, it does mean, however, sorry, when a famine comes, it does mean that he is in charge of the world. And you are not. He has his reasons that we may never know and we may never understand. He keeps his own counsels on what famines he sends into our lives. And maybe that rubs you the wrong way. I don't like a God that decides whatever he wants and is all-powerful. It can be difficult for us if you don't read the Word. But if you read the Word, this is why it's so important for us to be in the Word every week, every day in our lives, is because when we read the Word, we learn His character. And in the Word, He tells us, He promises us that everything He does, He does because He loves you. Everything. His love does not fail. But we won't receive it or experience it or see it in our life if we don't believe it. See, it's, uh, we, we have a, uh, our side of receiving his promises is believing the promises. That's why they're a promise to be believed in, to be depended upon. And he says that you won't see it or feel it unless you believe it. That's why the Christian life is like a giant battle in your heart to just believe God's word or not. Every day, that's our choice. That's our battle. Satan is coming and saying, you can't depend on God's word like that. And the spirit says, trust me. And it's this constant battle every day. Here, Isaac receives a word from the Lord to believe or not. He has to decide, is he going to believe this word or not? Verse two, the Lord appeared to him, gave him a word. And he said, do not go down to Egypt. Well, well that's what my dad did. And he ended up okay. Well, really? 
Hmm, what did he pick up down there in Egypt? Hagar, how did that work out for him in his marriage? But he says, live in the land which I shall tell you. Isaac, don't vacation in Egypt. I know that right now it's tough in your life, but don't go on a vacation to Egypt. Dwell in this land that I shall tell you, and I will be with you and bless you. And to your descendants, I will give all these lands, and I will perform the oath that I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven, and I will give to your descendants all these lands. And in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. He didn't have a Bible. Isaac didn't have a Bible. So the Lord appears to him. He doesn't leave him without a witness. He doesn't leave him without the word. He gives him a word. He's his child. He says, don't go down to Egypt. Egypt is always a type in the Bible of the world. The world. God is saying, don't look to the world to get you through this famine. Don't depend on them. First, there is a famine. Second, there is a place in the world to go to get away from the famine, which is Egypt. In our life, there is going to be famines. And guess what? The world always has a solution, always has a place. You can come to get a little bit more comfortable from your famine. They have drinking. That's one of the Egypts in our world. A way to get... They have wine in Egypt. They have drugs. They have sorcery in Egypt. They have career and success. They have economic stability in Egypt. They are welcoming. Come to the dark side. We have cookies. Other people do it. Remember Isaac's father, Abraham, he did that when he was in a famine. He went down there to Egypt. God would have provided for Abraham in the promised land. Why? Because he promised to. It's a promised land. Ha! Imagine. Light bulb. Just being there in the, promise is, in the promised land is living by faith. Just being there. I don't know what's going on, and I'm living in a famine, but I'm here. God says, you're living by faith. You got it. But he says, no. He said, don't go down to Egypt. Live in the land that I'm going to tell you about. Live in this land. God gives Isaac very clear instruction through his word. Live here and trust me. I will provide everything you need. Why? Because God loves you and will provide everything you need through his son by faith. You're going to hear that a few times today. God loves you. He's going to provide everything you need through his son by faith. In verse 3, he says, dwell in this land and I will be with you and bless you. Dwell is a word we're very familiar with in the Christian life. It means to remain or to abide. Don't go in and out. Don't dabble in the world. Don't take a trip down to Egypt to sightsee. I'm just checking out what the world has to offer. You know, I just drink a little bit here and there. I just dabble in it. I just, when I need it, I need to take the edge off. I go here, I do this. I see what the world has. God says, dwell in this land. Where? Where you have to live by faith. 
where faith is the only thing you have, dwell in this land. Maybe my psychologist, my psychologist has something that can help my soul. That's Egypt. I'm telling you that's Egypt. God says, don't even mess with it. He lovingly gives us two reasons in this verse why we should trust him and dwell in the land and not mess with Egypt. He gives us two reasons, not one, but two. He says, I will be with you and I will bless you. I will, there's two reasons why you can trust me. I'll be with you and I'm gonna bless you. Reason number one, we're gonna investigate this a little bit. I will be with you. God's presence is promised when you dwell in the land. When you forsake Egypt, when you say, I'm not gonna do what the world, I'm not gonna go there. I know I have a longing in my heart. I got a famine I'm living in and I'm thirsty deep in my soul, but I'm not gonna go to the word. God says, hey, I am with you. I will be with you. I promise God's presence is promised. This is the foundation of grace, a relationship with God himself. It's described as being with him, a connection, a withness with God. That's pretty awesome. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse two, it says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you go through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. His presence is promised. We learn here that we can say with confidence, I would rather be in Egypt with God in a famine than comfortable in Egypt. I said that totally wrong. I would rather be in the promised land with God in a famine than scurry down to Egypt and be comfortable. But what does the American dream tell us? What does this world constantly tell us? Your comfort is the paramount thing that you should seek. Ease of life, comfort, you know, get the best in the best. And, and Look at Exodus chapter 33. Go ahead and turn in your Bible to Exodus 33. I would rather live in the desert with God than anywhere else. I would. Just like Moses. Moses hated the desert. Let me say that again. Moses hated the desert. He lived, it says in the, in the book of Exodus, he lived in the backside of the desert. <laughs> I don't even know what that means. If the desert has a front side and a backside, the backside must really stink. He lived there for 40 years. And the whole time he was there, it was a reminder of his failure and disappointment. That's what that whole 40 years was about. Every time he even looked at a desert, thought about a desert, the first thought that came to Moses' mind was failure. I'm a failure. I used to be royalty in Egypt. And now I'm a failure. I remember there was ground me down living in the backside of the desert. He hated the desert. But look what he says in Exodus 33, verse 9. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of the cloud de descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle. And the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door. And all the people rose and worshipped each man and his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And he would return to the camp. But his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Verse 12, then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. 
Yet you have said, I know, I know you by name, and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, if we have this relationship based on grace, okay, show me now your way that I may know you and may find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And so God said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Then Moses, he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, don't even bring us up from here. For how will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are on the face of the earth. So the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you my name. Wow. Moses' relationship with God has been developed to such a point that he knows He's more comfortable wherever God is, even if it's in the middle of the backside of the desert that he hates. He is living right here. They are at Sinai. They are in the middle of the desert. There's not water. There's not anything comfortable. It's just sand between their toes and not the kind on a beach, like the hard rocky kind that hurts. It's just terrible. But Moses is like, I'm not going anywhere unless you say you're going with me. Because how are people going to... If this is grace, it's got to be grace. And God's like, yes, you get it. I do desire this to be by grace. So let's do it that way. Let's do it like that. I will be with you. So remain with me. Stay in the land. Trust me. Going back to what he's telling Isaac, remain, dwell in this land. Let's do this by grace, even in the desert, even in a famine. Still trust in grace. Everything besides me is just your efforts. Staying here in this land, in the famine, is equal to depending on me, or you could describe it as faith. Just staying in the land is how we live by faith. Not going to the world. Well, reason number two he gives us that we can trust God is that he will bless us. He says, dwell in this land because I'll be with you, my presence. And number two, I will bless you. I will give you what you need. A blessing is him giving us something. He will bless you. I will see your need before you do and already have provision ready for you. If you stay here, stay with me, abide with me, remain with me, keep opening up your Bible in the famine. He knows that you will be thirsty in the famine and he will give you living water to drink. He knows that living in this world will get us down. He knows you'll be lonely and he will have what you need. He knows you will be hungry and he will have food for you. The bread of life. He knows you'll be tired and he will have rest for you. He knows that you'll need direction and he will give you a path. He knows that you'll need protection and he will be your shield. He will bless you. That is what grace is. He is giving us what we need through his son by faith. He will bless you. How? By Jesus, his son. He will give all these things to those who come to him and then remain with him. How do you come to Jesus? How do you remain with him? The answer to both those is by faith. By faith. One person can pray and say, Jesus, I need you. And the other person can pray and say, Jesus, I need you. 
And one of them believes and is trusting in Jesus, and the other one is just saying words. What's the difference? The heart, the invisible, the faith. I can't tell what yours is. Only you can, but one is real and one is fake. Back to verse 3. For to you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father, and I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of the heaven, and I will give your descendants to these lands. And all in your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Notice with me how the mechanics of grace work I love finding out how things work, don't you? you know, like when, when you finally figure out how a light bulb works, you're like, oh, makes sense. Or the garbage disposal. I have no idea how that works still. But in this, I highlighted these action words in, those, in verse 3 and 4 and 5, okay? I highlighted this. I give, I will perform the oath, I swore, I will make, I will give. Those are the five things, one, two, three, four, five, five things that God says make this work. All five of them are his actions, his abilities, his promises. I give. Well, give is the language of grace. That's what grace is, a blessing. Him giving. I will perform. I'll be faithful. I, I swore. I promised. I will make. If you don't have it, I'll even make it out of nothing. And I will give. Another affirmation. It begins with him giving. It ends with him giving. I, I'm blown away here that the mechanics of grace are spelled out to us in Genesis chapter 26. That's why the message of the Bible is consistent. Do you see it? It is there. This is how he works. And the end result, look at the end result of his giving. What is it all wrapped up in? Well, the verse that says, in your seed, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. The end result is blessing. Jesus being seen. Why is God gracious to you? It's because he wants Jesus to be seen in all the world. It's not about you. Yeah, he loves you. He likes giving you blessings. But the main reason is so that Jesus can be seen in all the world. He says the end result is that in your nation, all, in, in your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. That's why I'm doing all this for you. So that Jesus can come on the scene and bless everyone. God does all these things. Then blessing comes. The Messiah shows up. The end result in a human being's life that trust and grace is seen in verse 5. Look what hap happens. It says, Abraham ends up living a godly life. It says, so the last verse there is verse 5. Because Abraham obeyed my voice, kept my charge, my commandments and statutes and laws. So the end result of all these mechanics of grace and then Jesus showing up in verse 4 is verse 5, a life that's obedient an obedient life, a godly life. He kept his laws, his statutes, his commandments, and even his charge. And the same thing happens with us when we live by grace. Check this out. When we let God do all that he says he's going to do, 
When we believe it, then the Messiah shows up in our lives and blesses us. He says, I am with you and I'm going to bless you. I'm going to show up to be with you and I'm going to show up to bless you. I'm going to give you these blessings. And then what happens after a person is living that life, they will naturally live a godly life. Turn to Romans 6, verse 14. God is teaching Isaac in Genesis 26 how to have a real relationship with God through grace. He taught his father. Now he's teaching the next generation. This seems to be all that God really cares about is you living by grace. All of his people throughout every generation, generation by generation, living by grace. And that's our heart and the mission of our church, White Flag, Calvary, is to teach as many as God will grant us to live by the new covenant of grace. To be able to live as God lives. Now look at Romans 6.14 and it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. The new covenant of grace promises freedom from the domination of sin. And who does it? God does it. I will give. I will keep my promise. I will do these things. Jesus says, if you let me, I'll set you free. I promise. And what a promise that is. There is no prison that holds us more captive than our own addictions to sin, to self-reliance. We are slaves of sin. And no matter, no amount of digging or efforts can free us from the internal heart longing to sin. We can't be freed except by Jesus. Yet Jesus offers to perform a liberation in the heart for every believer who will come to him and abide in him, trusting his work. That's how it works. He makes it so sin will not dominate our lives. He took sin and he nailed it to the cross and it died in his body so that we would be free. This work of Jesus called grace was promised in the Old Testament in many places, such as Ezekiel chapter 36. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. This is that internal work that we're talking about. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh, one that's soft, moldable, sensitive to God. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. Remember Abraham, he walked in God's statutes after he lived by grace. And you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I give your fathers and you shall be my people and I will be your God. God says, if you'll dwell with me, I'll make it so you being in the land is awesome. You'll be my people. You'll be a witness to the world. You can stay in this land. What's this land for us today? A life of faith. We can live a life of faith. God will make it possible. God will do it. And in Jeremiah 24, 7, there's another Old Testament verse that gives us insight into this New Testament covenant. He says, then I will give them a heart to know me and I will be their Lord and they shall be my people and I will be their God and they shall return to me with their whole heart. 
we spend so much time studying grace because it's the most important thing to do. Peter commanded all believers at the end of his second letter to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He didn't say grow in your efforts, grow in your ability to do right, grow in your dedication. No, grow in grace. Understanding and believing Jesus' work on your behalf will transform you and make you live a godly life. And living a godly life is so important. But it's how we get there that's so misunderstood in the church. I said, believing Jesus will do all that he said he will do is how we live a godly life. And the church doesn't do well in general at communicating that. People go to church and they think, well, the pastor said to try a little bit harder, to give a little more, to sacrifice. What can I do? I do, I do, I do. What did we read? What's the mechanics of grace? He does. He did it. He will do it all. That's how it works. So misunderstood in the church, but not here. I refuse to let you guys be confused. Ha! If I had a nickel for every time someone said to me, or I heard this, I want to live a godly life. I want to do the right thing, but I don't know how. I tried. I really tried. How many times have we said that? Oh my gosh. So many times. And that is simply us being self-reliant and not trusting the word of God. Jesus said, I'll do it. You don't believe me. You don't believe me. You are not a slave of sin. I set you free. Do you think I died on the cross for nothing? No, I died on the cross to set you free from sin. You sin because you don't believe me. That's it. That is it. And oh, I don't, how can you tell me I don't believe? Because you're sinning. Someone who's living by grace does not, is not dominated by sin. We must believe more, not try harder. Believe harder, not try harder. Luke 6, 46. I'm going to try to confuse you now. Says, but why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do the things which I say. Oh, there's an important verse. Are you really following me or believing me if you don't have any fruit? If your life still is dominated by sin? God's grace produces fruit. That's what the Bible declares, that's what we can believe. You can look at someone's life and see how much they are surrendering to relating to God through grace. Surrendering to grace. You can see it. The harder you try, the less fruit, real fruit will be produced. It really works that way. The harder you try to live a godly life, the more you will fail. Every true follower of Christ will declare the same thing. Our efforts send us in the wrong way. I'm, I'm going to buckle down and I'm going to do what's right this time. You're going to fail. I'm really going to commit this time. Yeah, that's not going to go well. No. The right attitude is, Father, I am a slave of sin. I cannot change. But I somehow believe that my sin was put to death on your cross. And I ask you to experience that in my life. 
I want to experience your death in my life so that I can have your life in my death. Mm. The more you surrender to all that Jesus is and does and just trust him and abide with him, the more he produces fruit in your life. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus gave us the great commission and he said, you know, all I want you to care about, all I want you to worry about is this, go out throughout the world and teach them to observe all the things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. This great commission, Jesus tells us that this is our job, to teach people how to live a godly life. All the things that he commanded, to teach people to know God through his grace so that they can live a godly life. But we misinterpret this and say, he said to teach people all the rules. Is that what Jesus taught? No, Jesus says, I'm going to keep the rules for you and I'll produce life in you. That's what Jesus said. And then you will keep the rules without, by nature, just like me. You see me stressing about following the Father? No, I just do it. Why? Because it's my nature. I'm Jesus. You can have that too, where lying doesn't be, define you anymore. You're not dominated by it. Why? Because the internal nature is dying daily with Christ. It's producing righteousness. How do we do this at church, at White Flag Calvary? How do we do this? Well, I'm going to read to you 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. It says, clearly, you are an epistle of Christ or a letter about Jesus ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the flesh, that is, of the heart. We minister or serve people what Jesus is. That's how we write an epistle of Christ to them. We serve them, and, we, and by how we serve, we're explaining what Jesus does. Grace. We, then as we simply just point all people to Jesus, the Spirit tattoos the truth of God's love and grace in their hearts. That's what Paul's saying here. I just love you, and I point you to Christ and show you all that Jesus does and, and promises to do, and the Spirit takes my feeble words and he tattoos them on your heart, God's perfect love and his supply, his grace. We never have to minister on tablets of flesh. We, we never, I'm sorry, we have to minister on tablets of flesh, not on the outward tablets of stone. We, we don't work on the outside. In other words, we never have an outward list of rules. We always are seeking and aiming for an internal work of a newly created spiritual life in someone's heart. When someone comes and says, I'm really struggling with sin, I'm really struggling with uh, sleeping pills or whatever. I don't, I'm just coming up with something. Pick whatever it is. We don't say, okay, let's make a rule to make you stop doing that. That does not work. We say, Jesus is all you need. Focus your eyes on Jesus, what he does, what he promises to do, and he will create a righteous heart in you. 
and you will be freed from the desire internally to do that. That's how this ministry works. It's internal. Only the internal and spiritual life matters. Not by us, but by the Spirit. See, we can't. Can you write on someone's heart? Can you tattoo on someone's heart? No. We can't change people. We can only direct them to Christ who can. And the Spirit does it for us. We don't try to change people. We just serve them and teach them what Jesus is and does. The last verse we're going to, well, we'll see. Galatians 4.19 says, My little children, for whom I labor in birth until Christ is formed in you. Paul says, you know what? This is how ministry goes for me. I am like in labor. I, am, I go through pain. I suffer. Paul shows us how he did it, how he did ministry. He taught the people to live godly lives. How? Well, he suffered. How does that teach them how to live godly lives? He loved them to the point of hurting. He didn't care how much it cost him. He was going to love them. And he did it all trusting that the Spirit would form Christ in them. He had no guarantee that anything would happen except God promised him in his word. That's the only guarantee he had. If I let myself get stoned to show you how much I love you, is that going to change you? And they say, no. He said, well, God tells me to love to the point of death, so I'm going to do it. And God did use it because God is faithful. That's so amazing. He trusted in the promise of grace, which is what we need to do as well. It's the same message that Abraham received from God and Isaac receives in the chapters we're reading in Genesis 26. You stay with me, you trust me, and I will be with you and I will bless you. I will provide all you need to live a godly life. It's so freeing when the heart finally accepts this. It's rest. That's why Hebrews chapter 4 calls it the rest of God. You mean I don't have to try to find a way out of this famine that I'm in? I I don't need to work 10 times harder to provide for my own needs? No. Focus on your relationship with God. Are you believing his word? Are you even reading it so you have a chance to believe it when he speaks to you? Abide in it. Keep reading the word. And it is the message. This is the message that will keep being spoken to your heart as you read the word. God loves you and will provide all you need through his son by faith. You'll hear it again. God loves you and will provide all you need through his son by faith. Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloveds, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation in fear and trembling. He means keep coming to Jesus and reading his word and searching your heart to see if you believe it. When he says, oh, you've always obeyed, he says that's what you've been doing is you've been coming to Jesus. You've been seeking him. You've been loving him. You have obeyed. Obey means abide in the New Testament. Obey means abide. When Jesus said, teach them to obey, he's saying, teach them to abide in me. Obey means abide, not keep the rules. Remember that. It, for Verse 13, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. When you abide in humility and faith, you experience grace, which is God's working in you to live that godly life.
It all fits together. Everything in the Bible fits together. Genesis 26, 1 through 5. The mechanics of grace spelled out in Philippians 13. You keep coming to the Lord. You obey him. And what happens? God works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. What are you going to do when you abide? He's going to figure it out. He's going to tell you what to do. He's going to put it in your heart. This is how I want you to do it. Why? Because God loves you and he will provide everything you need through his son by faith. Let's pray. Jesus, we, um, we don't deserve any grace. And Lord, we just want to come in humility and we want to drink deeply of the living waters that flow from your heart. Lord, we want to trust your word in faith. Lord, I pray for those who've been challenged today and who have um, maybe seen areas in their life where they are, have, are not believing, where they're not living by grace. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would come and would equip, enable, and give the faith, Lord, give that gift of faith to everyone who needs it. Just that simple heart that will say, okay, I'm going to believe this. I'm going to let my heart free from its self-sufficient prison. And I'm going to trust your all-sufficient son. And Jesus, we are now going to come and take communion and put our trust invisibly in the, the, the son who gave his body and his blood to prove to us that this new covenant is real and to provide the effective power needed to supply all that we need. Jesus, it's all you. You did it all. And Lord, as we take communion, we are going to remember that and we're going to put our hope fully in that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.